Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, The King's Agenda. This three-week series looks at the parables where Jesus tells us what the agenda is for the King of Heaven. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Good morning again. Good to see you today. Look, we're beginning this new series called uh, The King's Agenda. And uh, when we refer to the King's Agenda, we're talking about what's God's agenda for his people. So uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at that. And particularly, we're going to look at three parables that come out of the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus tells these parables, and he refers to the king, referring to God. And so today, we're going to look at the parable about forgiveness. And to do that, let me just start with a real-life story. A single word in black cursive font hangs above a large double-pane window in Terry Roberts' sunroom. It says, forgiven. The word is a daily reminder of all she's lost and all she's gained. The simple, quiet, rural life she knew was shattered on October 2nd, 2006, when her oldest son, Charles Carl Roberts IV, walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse on a clear, unseasonably warm Monday morning. The 32-year-old husband and father of three young children shot 10 little girls between the ages of 6 and 13, killing five and wounding the others. Terry Roberts' husband thought they'd have to move far away. He knew what people thought of parents of mass murderers. He believed they would be ostracized in their community, blamed for not knowing the evil their child was capable of. But in the hours after the massacre, as Amish parents still waited in a nearby barn for word about whether their daughters had survived, an Amish man named Henry arrived at the Roberts' home with a message. The families did not see the couple as an enemy. Rather, they saw them as parents who were grieving the loss of their child too. Henry put his hand on the shoulder of Terry Roberts' husband and called him a friend. You see, not only were those five girls killed, but also... The one who pulled the trigger took his own life. Over the next few days, the world watched in amazement as on the day of their son's funeral, nearly 30 Amish men and women, some of the parents of the victims came to the cemetery. Parents whose daughters had died at the hand of their son approached the couple after the burial and offered condolences for their loss. And then just four weeks after the shooting, the couple was invited to meet with all the families in a local fire hall. One mother held Robert's gaze as both women's eyes blurred with tears. She said, they were all grieving. They were all struggling to make sense of the senseless. But the Amish did more than forgive this couple. They embraced them as part of their community. When Roberts underwent treatment for stage 4 breast cancer, one of the girls who survived the massacre helped clean her home before she returned from the hospital. 
A, a large yellow bus arrived at her home around Christmas, and Amon's children piled inside her home to sing her Christmas carols. The forgiveness is there. There's no doubt they forgive, Robert said. Stephen Knowles, a professor of Amish studies at Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania, and he said that for most people, forgiveness and acceptance comes at the end of a long emotional process. But for these Christians, the Amish, the Amish forgive first, and then every day work through the emotions of it. This decisional forgiveness opened a space for Roberts to offer her friendship, which normally in their situation would be uncomfortable, he said. Years later, the Amish families are still consciously deciding to forgive every day. Nothing about her new reality, about coming to terms with her son's demons, has been easy, but it would have been unthinkably harder without her Amish friends. No one could ever imagine on that day that something like that would be formed from it, she said. Because of the response of forgiveness, we were able to heal. That's a powerful story of forgiveness in a horrendous circumstance. As I said, forgiveness is what we're going to talk about today. And, and to begin with... We have to talk about the truth that God has forgiven you and me. That's right. God has forgiven you and me. In the book of Acts, Paul states unequivocally these words. He says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Why does he state that? Because we all need to know that we have a righteous God and each one of us is unrighteous and so we need forgiveness. You know, we have to own what the Bible says about us, that each one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, that each one of us has gone astray. The Bible tells us very clearly that all humans are sinners, and we have to own that. King Solomon knew this, and he wrote in the ninth century before, uh, ninth century before Christ, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. The prophet Isaiah wrote, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The reality is that all of us as humans have a sin nature. We rebel against doing God's will and instead do our own will. One writer points out, proof of the sin nature abounds. No one has to teach a child to lie or to be selfish. Rather, we go to great lengths to teach children to tell the truth and to put others first. Sinful behavior comes naturally. The famous British pastor Charles Spurgeon said, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic... So does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. The Apostle Paul wrestled with his own sin nature. In the book of Romans, this is what he writes. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
and I do what I do not want to do. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. The Apostle Paul owned his sinfulness. He completed a fearless moral inventory of his own thoughts, his own behaviors, his own actions. And he realized that the good he wants to do, he doesn't do. That he sins. You know, if we're honest about our own sin nature, we can admit that we struggle in the same way as Paul. The Bible tells us that these are the things that that we as humans struggle with, and this is not an exhaustive list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language. Quite honestly, we could continue to add to that list. But there's no need for us to pile on. But what there is a need for us to see is our great need to be forgiven by God for our thoughts and our actions and our inactions. The Bible says knowing what is right to do and then not doing it is sin. We all need to appreciate the fact that we need forgiveness And we've been offered complete forgiveness. We've been offered a complete new clean slate. You see, without the mercy of God sending his son, Jesus, to pay for our sins through his sacrificial death on the cross, none of us could have ever done enough good to be forgiven of our sins. That's right. None of us, no matter how good we are, could ever accomplish the good deeds that would be need needed to be done to equal out on a scale to pay for our sins. There are not enough good deeds that we can do. And you know, some of the most uh, devout people that have lived on this earth have said that. People like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. The reality is we know we need a Savior And the reality is we were sent one who offers us forgiveness of our sins for us to accept. Now, hopefully you've accepted that forgiveness through Jesus. And if you haven't, I'm going to share with you how you can later this morning. But if we've been forgiven, the question arises, should we forgive others? And the question is yes. This is the second thing that we have to embrace when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about God's agenda for us. We must forgive as we've been forgiven. We must forgive as we've been forgiven. So let's look at this parable in the 18th chapter of Matthew where Jesus talks about the king's agenda. Uh, He is in a conversation with the apostle Peter, and Peter asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
And then Jesus goes on and, and tells the parable. But before we get to the parable, let me point out a few things. Now, uh, scholars disagree about whether the original Greek that was, this was written in meant 77 times or 7 times 70. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because what Jesus is getting at is the importance of the generosity of our forgiveness. Whether it's 77 times or 7 times 70. In other words, it, Jesus is saying... You just need to keep offering that forgiveness. Now, the reason that Peter was saying, well, seven times is because he probably knew the Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition said that a fellow believer was, if they were forgiven three times for the same offense, the fourth time the same offense happened, they didn't have to be forgiven. So, so Peter, in his mind, was being generous when he said, well, you know, you know, Lord, should I just forgive him seven times? And that wasn't Jesus' answer. He said, nope. 77 times. In other words, as many as it takes. Jesus showed Peter that in his, even in Peter's generosity, that he was thinking in limited human thoughts. He was not embracing the way God looks at us, who's willing to forgive us endlessly if we ask for it and repent. Keep on forgiving. Don't hold a grudge. So let's look at the parable. Jesus, after he has this conversation with Peter, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought in. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he, could pay, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's an amazing parable with a very clear and direct application. Jesus concludes it again. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The message is clear. Forgive as you have been forgiven. When you think about, if you can own up like Paul did, that the good that we want to do, we do not do. We commit sins. We think sins. We commit sins by not doing things that we should do. If we can own that, then we recognize that if we have accepted Jesus' forgiveness for our sins, that, that we've had a debt that we couldn't pay 
paid for us. Therefore, we're supposed to extend that same mercy and forgiveness to others. That's the king's agenda for his followers. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We are people who have been forgiven much, and we're expected to forgive others, especially in the body of Christ, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Latasha Morrison writes in her book, The Bridge to Racial Unity. She says, we are all guilty and in need of forgiveness. And we have been forgiven on account of Christ. And then she quotes C.S. Lewis who wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. In other words, we forgive because we ourselves have been forgiven. Forgiving others is the most Christ-like act there is. It's costly and painful, yet transformative and life-giving. Of course, the process of becoming like Christ in this way does not happen overnight. We must receive grace from God and extend it to others as we all struggle together to be transformed. And then she concludes by saying this. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. Now, sometimes when we hear this dogmatic command to forgive, we have questions. And I've tried to anticipate some of those questions because the reality is this. This message is very clear. We're supposed to forgive others as we have been forgiven. But all of us know that forgiveness can be difficult. So let me start with a couple of questions, okay? Um, the first question is, you know, as I've already pointed out, this passage is talking about Christians forgiving Christians. Does it apply to non-Christians? Look, the entirety of uh, Matthew chapter 18 deals with how Christians are supposed to relate to other followers of Jesus. So we understand that this teaching on forgiveness is dealing with one Christ follower to another Christ follower. So does this kind of forgiveness not apply between a Christian and a non-Christian? All we have to do is look to Jesus. All we have to do is remember how he treated people who weren't believers in him, who weren't his followers. Remember at the crucifixion what he said. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He offered forgiveness to those who weren't his followers, who, who weren't believers. So we should take our marching orders from Jesus. This kind of forgiveness that we've received, we need to apply to others, whether they're followers of Jesus or not. We need to be forgiving. That's the first question. Here's the second question. How do we forgive the person who has done something horrible and inexcusable to us? Some sins and wrongs that are committed against us are easy to forgive. If a friend promises to take you out for a meal on your birthday and they forget you know, that's easy to forgive. But what if it's not easy? How do you forgive the person who lies to you or who cheats on you? How do you forgive the person who abuses you or takes the life of a loved one? Here's what I want to say. Forgiveness is a choice that every single one of us has to make. 
But there's something you may have never thought of before. Forgiveness isn't a one-time decision, a choice that you make once and lasts forever. Forgiveness is a process of choices. And sometimes forgiveness takes the choice to forgive over and over and over and over. So don't think of forgiveness as a once and done decision. Think of it as a process that may require a daily decision to forgive the one who has hurt you. It's not unlike what that professor of Amish studies said. He said, the Amish forgive first and then every day work through the emotions of it. Sounds like a process of deciding to forgive over and over and over. Forgiving the person who has done something horrible and excusable to you will be a process of decisions, not a one-time decision. So what if the person who hurts you refuses to recognize that he or she did anything wrong to you? Well, Scripture tells us that if a a Christian sins against you, you should go to them one-on-one and point out their fault, hoping to reconcile. So if they refuse to uh, reconcile or, or to acknowledge what they've done, then it says you need to take another brother or sister in Christ with you and, and again, um, point out what they've done and, and ask uh, to reconcile with them. And it says if, uh, if they refuse, then it said, you know, take, uh, take it to the whole church. And then it says if they still refuse, then treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I think this scripture has been misinterpreted many times because a lot of people think, well, that means that uh, we're supposed to shun them, that we're supposed to exclude them, that we're supposed to cut them off from our lives. But what was Jesus' response to pagans and tax collectors? He tried to win them to be his followers. He tried to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. He tried to, to share with them eternal life. And he tells us to do the same thing. So we don't shun them. We love them. We witness to them. If you're thinking that forgiveness can't happen because they won't acknowledge the wrong that they've done to you, that's not true. You've done everything God wants you to do. You're only responsible for your part of the relationship, not their part. So you can't make them admit their sin. You can't make them reconcile. But you're responsible for everything that you can do. And you can pursue it. And that's the right thing to do. But you can't make them reconcile. Here's the last question. What if someone's committed a sin against you that's a crime? As a Christian, should you report it? No, the simple answer to that is yes. You know, God gave us leaders and governments to govern people and communities and countries. Scripture tells us that God puts leaders into their positions of authority, even secular leaders. And these leaders make laws to protect us. And so, yes, uh, we should report a crime against us. This, particularly what I'm talking about, applies to abuse. God does not want us to live in fear and in abusive relationships. And yes, unfortunately, abuse can be perpetrated by followers of Jesus Christ. Now, look, obviously we can have disagreements and arguments, but there's a difference between those and abuse. Let me say this. If you're suffering from abuse from someone who will not stop abusing you, you need to get help. You need to report it. 
You need to get to a place of safety. If you know of a child who's being abused, whether it's physical or sexual or emotional, you need to report it. A person who has been abused first and foremost needs protection and safety. And then they need care and counseling for healing. Somewhere in that healing process, they will need to wrestle with forgiveness. But ultimately, as Christians, we should forgive anyone who has hurt us. But in the case of abuse, that may require both time and work. Just recently, a friend shared with me that after being separated uh, from her husband uh, for four years, they reconciled and got back together. It took time and forgiveness. One of the realities that we need to understand is that forgiveness imprisons the one who will not forgive. Let me say that again. Unforgiveness imprisons the one who will not forgive. That's right. If you will not forgive somebody, you are imprisoned because you're still holding on to this. Pastor Craig Rochelle writes this. Forgiveness doesn't change the past but it frees you for a better future. Look, even secular therapists will, show, will report this, that, that forgiveness um, is important because the inability or unwillingness to forgive can have a negative impact on our mental health and our well-being, often contributing to such things as depression and anxiety. And the personal benefits of forgiveness will help us. Holding on to a grudge of unforgiveness takes a huge amount of emotional energy that robs the other relationships and areas of our lives. Processing a hurt and forgiving the one who has hurt us, even if that person won't participate in that forgiveness and reconciliation, is critical to us experiencing healing and freedom. If you need that kind of help, listen, I, I encourage you to seek out that help. Uh, I, look, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of counseling, and if you uh, need a recommendation, email me this week, and, and I'll be happy to share with you my referral list. Because the reality is this. We weren't made to be alone. We're better together. And we need to help one another work through stuff, as particularly things like this. And the reality is, oftentimes we need somebody who's trained to help us work through things like dealing with hurt and forgiveness. So here's the big picture. Jesus is our king who made sure that each one of us can receive forgiveness from our sins. All we need to do is accept it. He's offered it to us. It's a free gift. He's offered it to us to accept since we believe in him, we also acknowledge that he's our king in response to all he's done for us. And so we follow him. And as his followers, he wants us to forgive others as we've been forgiven. So as I bring this to a close, let me ask, who do you need to forgive in your life? Who has wronged you and you're holding a grudge against? It takes a lot of emotional energy to continue to rehearse that event and that reason that you're holding that grudge and you're unwilling to forgive. 
It binds you up emotionally and spiritually. It holds you back from being who God wants you to be. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard to work through it, but it's limiting your freedom in Christ. Jesus came that we may have life and have life to the fullest. And that means walking in the knowledge that we've been forgiven so much. And we need to live out that forgiveness with others. So I want to pray right now, just close in, in prayer. And then during this time, I want to encourage you, I'm just going to give you some silence, to talk to God about that person that you need to forgive. And if you can do it right now, I encourage you to do it. Because God needs to know, but I also encourage you to take the step of obedience and go to that person and share with them that even though they hurt you, you forgive them now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have offered forgiveness to each and every one of us. And you've called us to forgive as we've been forgiven. So Lord, right now, we recognize that some of us struggle with this. Some of us have somebody that, that we need to forgive. Maybe you've brought somebody to mind to each one of us. And so Lord, I ask that right now that you would hear our prayers as we want to respond to you as your sons and daughters. So go ahead and talk to him in silent prayer. Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.